Welcome to this month's edition of Pulp Nonfiction, the paper and packaging podcast. I'm Greg Johnson with Sustana Fiber, and as always, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Dr. Marta Pazos. So Marta, as you know, ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Governance, is one of the hottest topics this summer in 2022. That's why we couldn't be happier to have Dr. Sarah Zellner, a sustainability expert and the CEO of Lynn's Consulting in Washington, D.C., here with us today to help us better understand everything ESG. Sarah, it's great to visit with you today, and thank you for being here with us. Yes, thank you for having me, Greg and Marta. Appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, so, Sarah, most of us seem to understand the environmental part of ESG, but could you help us understand a little bit more about what the social and the governance parts of ESG are all about? Sure. So for your viewers who may not be familiar with ESG, I'm just going to take a step back and define exactly what it is, so simply so we're all on the same page. So ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. It's a set of standards for a company's operations that socially conscious investors use to screen potential investments. The environmental criteria consider a company's environmental impact, like climate change, resource use, and pollution. The social criteria examine how a company manages relationships with stakeholders, like employees, suppliers, customers, and community. And governance deals with internal management and a company's transparency around topics like anti-corruption, executive pay, and board composition. Now, there's no one set of ESG criteria that all companies subscribe to. So several international organizations have established standards for companies to use as guidance in their ESG reporting. They include standards organizations like the Global Reporting Initiative, uh, the International Sustainability Standards Board, and the Carbon Disclosure Project. Then there are ESG ratings agencies that take these standards and use their own internally developed ESG metrics to evaluate a company's ESG and determine its overall ESG score. Uh, these include firms like Bloomberg, MSCI, and S&P Global. Then, investors use those reports from the ratings agencies to see how sustainable a company is, which allows them to better determine which ones to invest in. Okay, that's a pretty, pretty good summation. That all sounds, you know, it sounds fantastic. I, I, I honestly wish that um, it was also it, it also gets ascended to not beyond public traded companies, right? Private. But I guess that the one thing that I like to know that I am sure a lot of consumers would also like to know is how do we know those companies that are that have a high rank, a high rating or ranking on that ESG scale, if that's a thing, so we can actually be consumers of those companies. Yeah, so um, so you kind of don't. I mean, I'll be honest with you. In terms of the ratings agencies, as I mentioned, they, they all vary. So they all have their own analyses, their own algorithms that they use to analyze and calculate the scores. So uh, we're basically dependent on those ratings agencies. So those agencies are now increasingly monitored by the SEC. So we can have um, some belief that the numbers that they provide to investors are truly what they are, but uh, but there's still some variability along those lines. So 
So investors, when you're looking at ESG funds, need to be relatively savvy and and really examine, I guess, what criteria is most important to them, number one. A lot of ESG investing is related to your own personal values and beliefs, but um, but also really comprehend what you're looking at and what the criteria are. So it takes a little bit more um, I guess, uh, analysis and um, to delve into um, some of the numbers to really ascertain what's most important to you and, and what's, um, what's really viable. You know, I, as, as, as coming from a consumer products com- a industry, what I'm thinking of is I would love to see, you know, a symbol on the package, such as like the little bunny that tells you that the such product is not being tested on animals, right? Is there a, any plan for ESG to roll out something like that? I don't think so. Not in the foreseeable future. Again, I think the Securities and Exchange Commission is is definitely on the ball because ESG has been has come to the forefront of investing. It's become very very popular and for a good reason. So I think they're they're playing catch up a little bit to basically um, provide investors with more informed decisions. So so hopefully that will come down the line. The little symbol that you see on an ESG fund, but for now that's not in place. I like that idea, Marta. That that's pretty clever. So so Sarah, uh, when we talk about ESG, invariably the subject of greenwashing seems to come up. What's your definition of greenwashing? And in particular, how does that impact ESG? Greenwashing is when a company makes a false claim around ESG characteristics of a product, a service, its operations, or its ESG reporting. Now, if a company is found to be greenwashing, it can negatively impact its ESG ratings, it can lead to government fines, as well as affect corporate reputation and sales. Last April, the SEC issued a statement on greenwashing in ESG to raise investor awareness of potentially misleading statements discovered during recent examinations of investment companies that offer ESG products and services. And at the same time, their Division of Enforcement formed a climate and ESG task force to analyze disclosure and compliance issues related to investment advisors and funds um, of ESG strategies. So ultimately, the SEC is getting pretty serious about ESG greenwashing. You know, um, again, coming from the consumer products industry, I have seen more times than I would have liked to, and certainly more times than I believe I should have, um, these greenwashing claims or these, I don't know if they are so much false as they are exaggerated or they tend to hide those inconvenient parts that um, would tip the scale of the, um, that environmental lessening impact factor, right? So when it comes to greenwashing, greenwashing can be viewed in two different facets. So especially when we're talking about ESG. So with with ESG itself and ESG funds and ESG investors, that greenwashing is monitored by the the Securities and Exchange Commission. So, so they basically, and as I mentioned, put out this, this new risk alert around ESG of, um, around rather the greenwashing of ESG funds. And so they're very keen to make certain that investors are, um, are aware, uh, that of any, uh, you know, 
toward practices, um, you know, that companies are undertaking, that investment companies are undertaking to, uh, to basically, um, you know, say something is ESG related, but in fact, it's not. So, so that's a truly what greenwashing is for, from the investment side. Then from the advertising side, and I think that's what you're talking a little bit more about, Marta. So that's monitored, monitored by, the, um, by the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. And so they're the ones who, in um, products and services and advertising, um, will confront a company and basically um, fine them, ass- yeah, assess them a fee uh, if they're um, if they're found to actually be greenwashing a product or service. So, for example. Um, I believe it was Walmart uh, earlier this year was assessed a fine of $3 million for greenwashing. Um, I believe it was Bamboo and Rayon Rugs. They basically said that they were green and uh, sustainable when in fact the Rayon uh, is created using toxic chemicals and thus it was essentially greenwashing. So as a result, uh, Walmart was assessed this fine. So can a consumer go uh, report to the FTC? I believe they can. I believe if they suspect a company of um, of greenwashing, they can submit um, a complaint, and uh, and the FTC can assess that complaint. I believe there is. Oh, right. I'll look into that. Yes, because you know? yeah. I'm thinking of some that I have. I have seen, heard of, or you know, experienced somehow that that kind of greenwashing to a certain extent, right? So Sarah, what's the difference between ESG and uh, CSR, corporate social responsibility? And is there any interaction between those mm-hmm. two? Yeah, as we discussed, ESG is a criteria that investors use to screen companies that they could potentially invest in. So CSR, or corporate, respons- or corporate social responsibility, is a business model where companies work to address uh, the impact that they're having both socially and environmentally. So beyond the current business, companies that practice CSR actively work to improve society and our world. As for the a- interactions between the two, CSR is the overarching strategy that companies use to better society and the environment, while ESG is centered on the measurement and the reporting of the company's CSR activities. What about extended corporate responsibility? You know, the idea that when a company puts a product out there, it's also going to be responsible for the end of life. Does that is that also involved in any of these or about to? Because I hear about the, about companies or about gover- uh, governments, right? In certain countries, more and more inclined to start asking, particularly consumer products um, companies, to hey, it's great that you're putting a product out there, but now make sure that you know how to pick it up and properly um, process it, right? So it doesn't end up be- becoming waste or Correct. Yeah. And that's more related to the circular economy, which is a component of corporate responsibility. It certainly can be. Not all companies practice circularity, but they have the option to do so. So circularity, as as you mentioned, is when a company will come back and actually um, try to use um, the waste that they've created in the production process. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, 
so companies do uh, implement those types of practices. It's definitely becoming more common, certainly more common in the EU, but also American companies are on the bandwagon with that also. So Sarah, talking about circularity, I know back in 2020, you were a co-author of a report that was done for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation that uh, was entitled um, the, the Great, creating a circular economy in the Great Lakes region. And you graciously mentioned us, Sustana Fiber, which we appreciated. But could you tell us a little bit about that report and, and what you found with companies like ours and others, not only in the Midwest, but in North America in general, that are what they're doing to help spread the circular economy mm-hmm. and develop it? Yeah. So, um, so to give you a better definition of the circular economy, Um, Just to start off, so we're again all on the same page, it's a production and economic model whereby companies reuse and recycle materials, water and energy involved in production processes, with the goal to find other uses for that uh, production waste and those byproducts. Um, As you mentioned, Greg, I worked on behalf of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation with management consulting company Navigant to help build the U.S. case for greater adoption of the circular economy. Now, in our report, we use the Great Lakes as an example and showcase the work of companies that have adopted circular practices. Now, uh, as an example of circularity, uh, when we focused on paper, many paper mills accept uh, paper cups, milk cartons, juice cartons, uh, in the case of recycled materials that they then use to create new products. Now, in the case of Sistana, uh, which we mentioned in our report, uh, recycled cups are used to make recycled pulp that can be incorporated into new paper cups. And uh, we also mentioned that Sistana and its other collaborators partnered with Starbucks to demonstrate how uh, cups can be recycled into new ones. And Greg, uh, you certainly can speak to that in greater detail, as well as the partnership. We do appreciate it. I'll tell you what, Sarah, I am, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that you're bringing up that one example, because that is actually how I learned about Sustana before I met Greg. And we still can't figure out exactly how we met. But when Greg reached out to me, I, I was the one that told him, yeah, no, I already know about the cup to cup program. And I was actually the one that brought it up in the last corporation that I worked in when nobody knew that a paper cup was in fact recyclable. So I am so glad that you're bringing that up. And thanks again to Sustana for bringing that up to the world, I believe, because at least to the U.S., nobody... Nobody that I know of that I spoke with about recyclability of cups knew that they were in fact recycled. Well, well, thank you both. Those are both great ringing endorsements. So although everyone seems to agree on the premise that ESG does good, there are naysayers. And there was a recent report in the March 31st, 2022 edition of the Harvard Business Review, Sarah, that I, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, University of Colorado professor Sanjay Bhagat reported that ESG-focused funds uh, have currently been underperforming compared to non-ESG funds. And in addition, the ESG funds were also not adhering to environmental rules. Do you have any thoughts on these disparities and, and why that's so? 
So I'll start by saying I did read the article and, uh, and I do feel that this is one author's opinion. And in his article, he cited five studies that support his hypothesis. Um, as a trained researcher, I, uh, who has a PhD in sociology, I give greater credence to studies that are meta-analyses, which evaluate a vast amount of past research on a topic to come up with an overall conclusion. Now, researchers from New York University did just that recently with ESG. So they studied the relationship between ESG and financial performance in more than a thousand research papers from 2020 to, or rather 2015 to 2020. Um, their findings show that ESG performance is improved for investors when they invest uh, over longer time horizons. And as for companies, actively working to lower carbon emissions also improves financial performance. Are ESG funds performing well in our current economic climate? Well, maybe not necessarily in the short term. So ESG funds tend to exclude stocks and defense, which are doing well because of the war in Ukraine, and traditional energy like oil and gas, which perform well during inflationary periods. In terms of the author's concerns about ESG funds and compliance with environmental rules, uh, there is a lot of variability in ESG scores and ratings, which can lead to inconsistencies. And as we discussed, a greenwashing of ESG funds does exist, which may contribute to the article's findings. Finally, I will say that the SEC's actions to more closely monitor greenwashing, however, may allow better alignment of financial performance of ESG funds with environmental compliance. So you, you mentioned um, some of the geopolitical factors involved with some of these ESG funds, and we all know about a lot of the, the economic turmoil that we're all experiencing from inflation and political instability and uh, fears of a, a lengthy recession. That being said, though, despite what that professor had mentioned, there is over $3 trillion that are currently invested right now in the stock market in ESG, sustainable global funds. If things turn badly, however, with the economy, how will that impact some of these funds? Yeah, I, you know what, I really don't foresee, Greg, uh, that ESG's appeal is going to lessen if the economy does decline. Um, savvy investors really understand that ESG is here to stay. Um, it will continue to increase in importance as climate change continues to adversely affect our world, which is not going away. And as well as as companies increase, um, are increasingly accountable for their societal and environmental actions with regulations like those proposed by the SEC. In addition, federal legislation like the current climate bill would also accelerate ESG investment, particularly the environmental aspects of ESG. And that will make uh, ESG funds and socially responsible companies even more appealing to investors. You know, one thing that I will say is um, I think that we're, uh, well, we as a society, right, but it is so difficult to sell to companies that the the circular economy practices and those environmentally lessening practices are in the long run cheap, right? So they are going to make, they're, they're going to lower not only the environmental impact, but also the cost of doing business altogether. But certainly I feel that investors 
are willing to sacrifice a little bit of returns um, to invest in their values nowadays. I think we recognize that climate change is really having a great influence on the markets, on companies and how um, they do business. And, um, and certainly returns are still important, but ESG will continue to um, have even greater importance going forward, um, knowing the change, changes that climate change are bringing in the future. And how much is costing all of us, huh? It's crazy, you know. When, when runways melt, you know that we have a problem. <laughs> yes, very true. <laughs> right? very true. Like, in addition to ESG, yeah. Sarah, I know you're also involved in another business, uh, SAS Healthy Living, and uh, you you are a, a wellness coach. Uh, you dive into different areas like fitness and sustainable living. Um, tell me this. Um, uh, obviously, over the last couple of years with what we've gone through, there's been a lot of mental health issues and things like that. Are there any techniques or tips that you might be able to share with us today um, regarding that and how, how people can feel better about themselves? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. To effectively reduce stress, you ultimately need to find something that works for you, which is very individualized and may require a bit of trial and error. Um, but some of the ideas that I suggest to my clients include exercising. So that could be cardio, yoga, dancing. I mean, whatever works for you. Um, and where you have the added benefit um, to your physical health. Um, also, socializing with friends is a great way to do reduce stress or calling a friend, which also benefits your emotional health. Um, meditation is often mentioned and uh, as a stress reduction technique, and that can be very, very beneficial. And then finally, um, performing a hobby. So, or doing something that you really enjoy, whether that's reading, gardening, playing games, whatever that really looks like, anything that will really help you relax. And if you're in a really challenging place, I always tell my clients not to hesitate to seek out the assistance of a mental health professional. That's also extremely important to keep in mind. Thank you so much for that, Sarah. You know, I'm one of those that has, from a, for a very long time, believed very, very strongly in the power of mental health and I wish that we didn't have this looming stigma around it, right? The fact that no, nobody is going to um, ask you, well, why are you going to do a physical checkup when you go to the doctor for your annual, right? I, I believe very strongly that we should have in place mental checkups too. But I'm actually going to pick on... Um, something related to exercise, which I actually believe is very powerful to, to maintain your mental health in check. So what do you do with all those running shoes and clothes that you use after you realize that you no longer should be using it? I'm one of those that also like use, like run my shoes down, like to the ground, which I know I shouldn't because eventually my knees will suffer. But and, and also and I but that's because I don't want to throw them away, right? I, I have clothes and shoes from like twenty years ago. Those are the only ones that I know I shouldn't keep for a long time. What do you do? 
Yes. So I, in the spirit of being environmentally responsible, I try to find take back programs for, uh, for at least for my shoes. So I believe um, Nike may have a take back program where they'll take recycled shoes, not only their own, but also recycled sports shoes of other brands. Um, uh, uh, and, and so oftentimes my understanding is that Nike will then use those recycled shoes to turn them into new products. I think you've seen um, maybe uh, at playgrounds, they have this rubber based, um, like, like not surface. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that I believe is generated from recycled shoes. So, um, so it's wonderful that companies are actually putting and being socially responsible in the spirit of ESG and their corporate responsibility to have these take back programs, which are also circular, as we talked about previously, um, part of the circular economy. So with my clothing, um, I don't know of any take back programs in particular. I usually try to convert them into rags or um, or other types of useful materials around the uh, around my household. Um, that's a little bit trickier, but uh, if you do hear of any take back programs, please let me know. There is one. H and M has one. So actually, H and M and it's the same as with Nike, right? That it doesn't have to be H and M clothes. You go to the store and then you get a discount on anything that you purchase. Obviously, you don't have to purchase. It's an incentive for people to purchase. But I have taken H and I have taken used clothes to H and M before. Yeah, that's great to hear. So before we let you go, Sarah, um, as a follow-up uh, to what you just mentioned as far as donating some of your, your used athletic wear, what are, what are some other things you do both personally and professionally in your everyday life to help the environment? Yeah, I am a big believer in walking the talk. Uh, so I do as much as I can to help the environment. I, I try. Uh, professionally, as we've touched upon, I serve as an advisor for both businesses and individuals to assist them in being better environmental stewards. I also share knowledge um, on ways for businesses and individuals to take action to help the environment through my company's blogs, um, other articles I write, and through speaking opportunities like this. Uh, now, personally, I try to do my part by recycling. I use public transportation. Uh, I try to limit the amount of meat that I consume um, and I lessening my independence, or my dependence rather, on single-use plastic, which is also very important. But admittedly, I, like my clients, am a work in progress and always striving to be better with that. You know, I wish that we all were more like work in progress. I think that work in progress is right now the way to go because that is, we're still, like you said, right, so dependent that sometimes it's almost impossible not to, um, not to consume anything that comes in a plastic right uh we be we have become so dependent and you you can rely on public transportation i can't so and like the majority of us in the u.s we live in areas where it's very hard not to depend on a car right or uh, unlike a lot of other countries there are many ways around a city on a bike um i honestly i'm scare of riding bikes in most cities in the country. So I think that work in progress is what we all can do and should do at this point. Well, we can have fun with it too, right? Like it creative. So it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. I, I learned a lot. 
Sarah, thank you for chatting with us and we're grateful for your time today. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thanks again. Join us next month for a new episode of Pulp Nonfiction, the paper and packaging podcast. And please be sure to visit sustanafiber.com for previous podcasts, as well as more information on our sustainable fiber products. Thanks again. Remember to recycle and we'll be sure to see you again soon.